As we continue the story of Cornelius the Centurion, we've seen a dramatic vision that Peter had, and we'll learn about the amazing power of prayer. Here's Pastor David. Let's get into it. Last week, we were in Acts chapter 10. We read the first eight verses about a guy named Cornelius. He was from a place called Caesarea, and he was a Roman. He's a Gentile, meaning not a Jew. He was a Roman, a centurion. He was a, he was a ruler of troops in the Roman army, but he had chosen to follow the one true God. He worshiped the God of Israel, and which was a major uh, you know, thing for him because everything in his culture said, follow these idols, follow this other way, but he chose to follow God. And so he was praying, and as he was praying, he had a vision, and this angel told him to send for a guy named Peter to send to go get him. So that's what happened. He had this vision. They told him to send, so he got his, his servants, his folks, and he said, go and get Peter. And so that's where we are in, the cha- in, in chapter 10. We're going to start now with verse 9, and we're going to keep walking through and see what happened here. Let's look at verse 9 in chapter 10, okay? So he's just sent his people to go to Joppa. This is the next thing we hear. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. All right. So remember, Cornelius is in Caesarea. Peter is in Joppa. We have a map, if we can get that up. Joppa is about 30 miles from Caesarea. So the reason that they didn't get there in a half hour or so, give give or take, for traffic is because they didn't have cars. This is a long time ago, and they were probably walking, and it took a couple days to walk 30 miles. So this the next day, they're nearing Joppa as this, this part of the story that we're reading, and Peter goes up on the housetop to pray. In that time, in this area of the world, they had flat roofs, and you would go up there. They usually had stairs that would go up, kind of an opening. You could come out on the roof. It was hot sometimes, and you get kind of a cool breeze if you are up on the roof, so you might hang out up there. We also know that, that Peter was at the house of Simon the Tanner, and we know that tanning, tanning animal hides, was a stinky, you know, uh, profession. And I don't know if he was doing that there at the house or if Simon did it somewhere else, but if he was doing it at the house, I could certainly understand why Peter might go up on the roof, spend a lot of time on the roof because dang, right? Animals in the hot sun, that stinks, right? So anyway, he's up there, it says, and it says he is going there to pray about the sixth hour. So the way that the Jewish folks kept time is a little bit different than we did than we do. And we read last week that Cornelius was praying at the ninth hour, which was 3 p.m., okay, at the ninth hour. So the sixth hour, if the ninth hour is 3 p.m., the sixth hour, noon. Gosh, you guys are awesome at math. I didn't want to do it myself. That's why I made you do it. So the sixth hour is noon, okay? This was the normal time to pray for Jewish folks was at the uh, third hour and the ninth hour. Okay, these were the times of the sacrifice in the temple. These were the times that, that Jewish folks would pray at those two times. And then, and then some who were devout would also pray at a third time of the day at noon. We know this in Jewish culture. Uh, we read in the Psalms, David writes this in Psalm 55, 17. He says, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. We also know that Daniel uh, would go and pray three times a day. So this is a tradition that's going on that those who are devout, that those are serious about their prayer life, they would pray at these times, okay? And even the early church would pray at those three times of the day, 
Okay, nine in the morning, noon, three in the afternoon. These were times that were set aside for prayer. Of course, the church would also pray. The early Christians would also pray all the time, you know, just all the time, anytime, spontaneously, and hopefully kind of without stopping. In other words, sort of always being in a place where you're communicating and communing with God. Never like he's over here, I'll see you at six o'clock or something like that. He's just kind of in, that's the way that the Christian life was set, set up. But they did keep these prayer times. So there's, there's that. Let's look at verse 10. Okay, next verse. It says this. Then he, talking about Peter, became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Okay. Um, it's about lunchtime. It's noon, right? Peter gets hungry. Now, this is one of those places where I feel very connected to the apostles. Because for those of you who can see me, you realize that I get hungry. Um, I used to think that I looked like a Greek god until I found out that Buddha wasn't from Greece. But <laughs> All right. Not too much laughing, okay? You get hungry, right? He may have been fasting that day. He's hungry. He's up on the roof, right? And, and he's praying, and he goes into a trance. This, this word uh, signifies that he's basically, uh, he's not experiencing things with his, conscious, with his conscious senses, okay? Probably you could wave your hand in front of his face and, and with nothing, right? He's in a trance. He's experiencing something spiritually. A little bit different than the vision that we hear about in the last chapter with Cornelius and the angel, where he's seeing something. Peter's in a trance for this vision. So, he's, so he is in what, what some would call a mystical experience, okay? He's experiencing God, kind of like he's outside of himself experiencing God. Now let's look at the next couple of verses here. It says in verse 11, And saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. So he sees heaven opened. Now, if you were here a little while back, we did a message in the seventh chapter of Acts where Stephen, a deacon in the church, was stoned to death. And right prior to them starting to hurl those rocks at him, he saw heaven opened. So we see something similar here where Peter, he sees heaven opened, okay? In his trance, that's what he sees. And then he sees this, this linen cloth, this sheet, okay? It could be like a bed sheet or, or even like a, 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 a sail for a ship. Something like that is what the word uh, refers to. He sees it come down and there's all these animals in it. Okay? There's, there's four-footed animals, uh, there's birds, and there are creepy crawly things, which is the part that gets me like, uh-uh. If there's spiders in that thing, I'm like, trance over, baby. I'm out of here because I don't like that. Even in the trance, I don't want to mess with spiders. Don't use that against me, please. I know that somebody's going to put a spider in my car or something. Don't do that. Um, so this is what he sees, okay? He sees all these animals, and then he's told to get up and kill and eat, which is a little brutal right? Because we aren't used to killing what we eat. Some of us maybe are. Some of you are hunters, that type of thing, and, and you kill the food that you eat sometimes. I've, I've never done that that I can think of, um, but it is not something normal for us. It would have been more normal for them to kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So Peter says no to the Lord. 
If you know much about Pete, old Pete, you know that sometimes he has this tendency to speak far in front of his thinking. And so he says things that later he has to be you know, rebuked for or finds out weren't the right thing to say. Reminds me of someone I know, um, me, uh, and I think that's kind of why Peter is somebody that we can all kind of connect with because we all sometimes, or many of us sometimes, say things we shouldn't say. But Peter says, no, Lord. Now here's the thing about that phrase. It's an oxymoron. You can't say, no, Lord. See, Lord means... When you say, Lord, it means I'm submitted to you. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do. It's implied in the word Lord. Lord means whatever you say, I'll do. So no Lord has no meaning. You can't, you can't say those two words together, but Peter does, okay? He's saying no. He's saying no. Um, he says, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I'm above that. I don't do any of that. See, the Jews had these rules about what animals they could eat, okay? And they were very specific. There were ceremonial rules that were meant to separate, to make a separation between the Israelites, who God had chosen as his people to be a light to the rest of the world, and the nations around them. He wanted them to do certain things different, okay? To have certain disciplines that were different than the other people around. So there were some rules. I'm gonna tell you what they were. Basically, four requirements on meat, okay? The first one is this. Land animals had to both chew the cud and have a split hoof, okay? If you wanted to eat a land animal, it had to chew the cud and have a split hoof. Sea creatures had to have both fins and scales, okay? Fins and scales, or you couldn't eat it out of the ocean. Winged insects had to have jointed legs to hop. As you all know, those are the tastiest of the insects, the ones with the jointed legs. Um, Birds of prey, reptiles, other creepy crawlies, all that kind of stuff, not allowed to eat it. Okay? The other people around them did eat those things, but they were not supposed to eat those things. All right? And so Peter is letting the Lord know that he was a good Jewish boy. I have never done that. I've never done that, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. Uh, I want you to notice something here, though. And this is very important. This is kind of where we're going to balance this, this message. Peter is basically saying this tradition that I, that I follow. This tradition of not eating these things that separates me from other people is more important than what you've commanded me to do. This tradition that's supposed to be in obedience to the Lord, doing what God has called you to do. But when you say to do something directly to me, I go back to this tradition rather than to the clear commandment that you've given me just now. I'm holding on to the tradition and saying literally, no, I won't do what you're telling me to do because I'm doing what you're telling me to do, right? or what you told me to do, which doesn't make sense, right? It sounds like the tradition has been elevated above a command that comes directly from the Lord. It's a very interesting thing, and I want you to think about that as we walk through the rest of this, okay? Maybe there's a a different reason why the rule is so important other than just being obedient. Next couple verses here in 15 and 16. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. So the voice calls down to Peter and says, do not be calling unclean what I've called clean. Do not be calling common what I've cleaned, what I've made, what I've made pure. Don't call it impure. Don't do that. 
You don't get to say. You don't get to decide what's clean and what's unclean. If I've called it clean, you call it clean. That's what he hears, okay? And this happens three times, which is an interesting number because we see it in Scripture a lot. And in the case of Peter, we have at least two other times where we see the three. We see the three times that he denies the Lord on the night he was arrested. And then we see the three times after Jesus rose from the dead and he's speaking to Peter and he says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. He says that to him three times. And so here, again, we see the Lord shows him this thing three times. Apparently, he really wants him to get this. He wants him to understand it. He repeats it over and over again. All right? So let's, let's read the rest of this section now, um, starting in verse 17 down to 23. It says, Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I'm he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So Peter is, has seen this vision. It's happened three times. And he's sitting there, and he's thinking. He's considering what does this mean? What is this about? What is the Lord trying to tell me here? Um, let's take a, an aside for just a second. I want you to notice something about what's happened in the last two sections that we've done. First, Cornelius is being faithful and praying. We know that he's faithful about it because we know he's doing it at the hour when prayer is normal. So we know that this guy is dedicated to spending time in prayer with the Lord, communing with the Lord, having a relationship with him in prayer. And the Lord gives him a vision. And he's going to send Peter to him. And we see Peter also being devout, spending time, dedicating time to be alone with the Lord in prayer, to be in community with him, to have a relationship with him. And he has this trance and this vision where the Lord teaches him something. Now, here's, here's what I'm saying. Prayer is powerful. And if you want to have the kinds of experiences that we see here in the New Testament, where you, I'm not saying you'll get a vision of an angel or a sheet with spiders on it or, or something like which you wouldn't want. Like, I'm never going to pray if that happens. But uh, I'm not saying you're going to get that. What I'm saying is, if you want the Lord to communicate with you, communicate with him. This is for me. This is for you. This is for all of us. We need to let the busyness of our lives sometimes subside. And if that means that we need to, maybe, maybe this is a good idea for us to set aside particular times where you're just going to drop it. You're just going to drop whatever's going on. You're going to set that cell phone down. I know it's connected to us in, in a serious way where we can rarely set it down, but set that cell phone down, go somewhere, and just spend some time just listening, just talking to the Lord, just calm, just communicating with Him, having relationship with Him without all the busyness of life. I know that it's, it's normal, at least for me, to do a lot of kind of the rapid fire prayer stuff where it's like, oh, Lord, help me with this. Or, you know, Lord, love you, Lord. Or, you know, this kind of stuff. And it's, and it's, it's continuous. It's, it's good. But sometimes the serious prayer is avoided in favor of kind of the quick prayer. 
Lord, I can't find my keys. Where are my keys, Lord? That type of stuff, right? And that's legitimate. Ask the Lord when you lose your keys. He knows where they are. I promise. But it's, it's something important to realize from the scripture that people are having these experiences when they're dedicating themselves to prayer. And then Peter hears from the Holy Spirit and he says, listen, go down, see what these guys want. Go do what they want. The Lord, the Lord is in this, right? The Lord is in this. He set this up so much so that we know it's 30 miles and it took them a certain amount of time to walk, to, to walk there so that the Lord knew to hit Cornelius in his hour of prayer, so they would send those guys so that they would arrive exactly on point at the time right after Peter gets done praying. So there's no question about the fact that the Lord set it up for Peter. I have this trance, I get out of it, I'm thinking about it, knock, 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 here come these guys, Holy Spirit says go do it. So there's no question about what he's trying to show him, okay? So prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. We all need to be in prayer as much as we can. All right. Here's an interesting thing. Peter's starting to get the hint. We see him go down, and there's these Gentile guys, and he invites them into the house. Now, to you, that just seems like part of the story, maybe or maybe it doesn't, depending on how much you know about Jewish people in the first century and Gentiles. Let me give you a little hint of what it was like. Jewish folks did not like Gentiles, okay? And that is a really nice way of saying they despised them. They despised them. They thought they were unclean, defiled, you know. If they walked down the street and a Gentile brushed up and touched them, they would probably go wash that off. They thought of them as very low and themselves as very high. They did not like Gentiles. It was not unlawful to allow Gentiles into your home, but it might have made you ritually unclean or something, and certainly would have been something that your Jewish neighbors would talk about. Do you see, Peter, you let these Gentiles in. That's pretty messed up. You know, it's, it's the type of thing that would not have looked good. But Peter, who just a second ago was, you know, in front of God bragging, right? He's bragging to God, which is a really bright thing to do. But he's saying, hey, I've never done this. I'm such a good, clean, pure Jewish guy. And he's, and he's lifting himself up in that way. And, and, and after this vision is done, he's willing to invite these guys in and lodge them, let them stay in his home. So that, that's an important thing to see that Peter's starting to get it. He's starting to get it, okay? And then we'll see what happens in our next message on Acts. We'll see where the story sort of goes from there. But let's talk about this section that we've read. What does it mean for us? What should we be getting from it? Let me tell you what is not necessarily the important part for us right now to focus on. And that is the idea of eating clean and unclean foods. The idea that you know, now we can eat pork or whatever, which is amazing, okay? Um, bacon, thank you, Lord. Um, I might spend some time in prayer just thanking God for bacon later, but it is good, okay? But that's not what we want to take from this. In fact, if Peter had been paying attention, if Peter had been listening, he would have already seen as he walked with Jesus during his ministry that Jesus had thrown away these rules that people had taken and made into something they shouldn't have. There's a point in the book of Mark where Jesus is talking to some scribes and some Pharisees, and he's getting on them about their legalism, okay? They're, they're, they're making these rules, and they're focusing on the rules more than on the heart. He says this to them in, in Mark 7, 9, the last part of the verse. Jesus said, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. This is what he says to the scribes and Pharisees. 
Does that not sound like what happened during this trance? Setting aside the commandment, kill and eat. No, I have my tradition. I want to keep my tradition. That's what I'm going to do. You're experts. You, not, hey, one time you did this. You're experts. You're really good at it. You could teach people how to do this. These scribes and these Pharisees were lifting up the tradition and the rule and completely ignoring the heart of what God had commanded them to do. Later in the chapter, he's with his disciples, is what happens. It says, when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable, and he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. So Peter was a disciple. He was probably here when this happened. They come in, they're trying to understand what he's saying about legalism. And Jesus is saying this, listen, the stuff that you're eating that you're putting inside your body, that's not what makes you unclean. You eat it, you poop it, it's over, right? It comes in, it goes out. Not to be crude, but that's what he said, okay? And, you know, eliminate it, whatever, okay? It's, it's, it's gone. What makes you unclean are the thoughts and motives of your heart. It's not the food that you eat that makes you unclean, although there's some nasty stuff out there that people eat, but it doesn't make you unclean. It comes in, goes out, whatevs, right? What makes you unclean is a heart that's wicked is a heart that, that is selfish, prideful. Those are the things that make you unclean. Your arrogance, your immorality, those are the things that make you unclean. Focus on that and stop worrying so much about whether you ate the right kind of animal. So he should have already heard this. Yet here he is bragging to God about how he's never eaten anything unclean. So um, what do we want to get from this? I want to talk about the two sides of this issue. And I'm going, to, I'm going to refer to them as lawlessness and legalism. Lawlessness and legalism. We have very clearly in Scripture, in nature, through reason, we understand what's right and what's wrong. Okay? We know what God has called us to do. Every one of us has a conscience that pricks us when we start to do something a little shady. We know what's right. And what's wrong? How we react to that can be a number of ways, but it sort of tells us where we are. Some people react this way. They have the rule. They've heard it. God said it in scripture. Maybe they don't have scripture. It's clear from nature. It's, it's just clear that some things are wrong, right? And some things are right. They can reason to it, whatever. And yet they say, you know what? I know better. I know what's good for me. It's these, these rules, they're a chain. They're a chain. They're holding me back. I can do what I want to do. I can do whatever I want to do. And they do whatever they want to do. And they, they essentially say, I know better. And then there's some people who follow the rules, and they follow them, and they get the more they follow them, the more that the rules become something in themselves, rather than a means to an end, they become an end in themselves. In our next episode, we'll learn a lot more about all this, and I hope you'll join us. I also hope you'll join us here at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, this Sunday morning. 
All the info you need is just a click away at axchurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Looking forward to seeing you Sunday and right here for more with Pastor David Robinson on Contemplate.